today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Another scholar actually points out uh, something that really ought to be obvious to us. Tamar and Rahab, they were both prostitutes, okay? Ruth was a foreigner. She was a Gentile. She was a, a Moabite a woman. Bathsheba, she was the one who committed adultery with David. And we could argue the fact of how much choice did she really have in the matter, David being king of Israel. And I think that's a very good argument. But still, she was in the midst of that. Matthew may have included these women in order to emphasize that God's choices in dealing with people is just covered by His grace. Jesus had a far from perfect pedigree. When you encounter a genealogy in Scripture, you may be tempted to quickly scan through until you find the next interesting verse. But as Pastor David will point out in today's message, Jesus' genealogy was not included in the Gospel accounts for no reason. It tells us something vital about God's character. Each of the people that you'll find in Jesus' lineage have a story that represents God's amazing grace, demonstrated through their weakness. And here's Pastor David in the book of Matthew chapter 1 as he begins his message, What's Your Pedigree? in a uh, pretty exciting time. There's stuff that's available to us now that uh, even just a few years ago really was not available at all. Something that was available now that wasn't a number of years ago, at least for the, for the uh, uh, populace, for just for, for regular people, is that uh, right now you can take and uh, get a, a little swab from the inside of your cheek or you can spit in a little bitty uh, 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 canister or vial there and mail it off and in a couple of weeks they'll tell you where you've been. I'll tell you where your family is from, tell you all your ancestry background, all the history and stuff. It won't tell you where you're going, but it will tell you uh, where your family has been. I, I know the Mormons have uh, been really big on ancestry, but they've only done that really to do those ceremonial baptisms for the dead. Well, uh, simply out of curiosity, actually, Tot and I uh, did one of those Ancestry.com things. Uh, I think it was just last year, maybe the year before. And we got some uh, pretty interesting uh, results. Some of them were uh, understandable. You, we could kind of figure that. I knew, you know, where part of my family was from. Some of it was kind of intriguing as we looked at it. Most all of Tot's family line um, goes back to the areas of Great Britain and Europe. She had strong Scottish backgrounds. That's why she's able to save money and I'm not. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> For, for me, however, uh, the results were literally all over the map. Forty-five uh, percent was of Ireland, and I knew I had some strong Irish roots. Uh, it didn't show up in France so much on my Ancestry.com, and for all my life, I thought, man, you know, we're a French uh, derivative. Well, the name is, but uh, I guess not as much in the blood. So, forty-five percent from Ireland, Scotland, Wales area. 
uh, 18% uh, was uh, from Great Britain and other assorted European countries. And uh, then it was from there that my ancestry actually kind of spread out and went everywhere. Uh, Spain, Finland, Russia, uh, the Caucasus, uh, both North and Southeastern Africa, Melanesia, as well as South Asia, and uh, primarily around the area of India is where it showed on the map. And I guess you could say that I'm pretty much a mutt, you know, just a, a lot of mixture. No, there's no purebred here at all. But even when you come down to the last couple of hundred years with the uh, Landry family, uh, it's been a rather colorful past. Uh, actually, there's a, in Louisiana, there's a parish. Uh, that's what we call counties. In Louisiana, they call them parishes because of the very strong Catholic influence early days. Well, there's a, there's a parish in Louisiana called St. Landry's Parish. Ah, <laughs> huh? eh? Not too bad, huh? Any of you got a saint, somebody? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, then. Well, actually, it's probably not even from my family directly. Uh, St. Landry was actually a priest in the 17th century in uh, Paris. And so uh, how they got that name, uh, they just probably picked it. So, uh, Because one thing I do know, the reality is, is that there's some of the Landry family that's uh, frequented some of the better-known uh, penitentiaries in Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> Got some that are still there. Uh, they work for the state, or the state houses them and feeds them. Angola Prison, which is now known as Louisiana State Penitentiary, has had Landry's in and out of there, as well as uh, most of the local county and city jails. But uh, on, and, on, and that's just on my dad's side. On my mom's side, uh, we've actually had uh, one distant relative that was, uh, she tried to murder her husband with an axe. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of background, you know. But I don't want to paint too bad of a picture because uh, actually my, my great-great-grandfather was actually a Methodist circuit-riding preacher there in Louisiana. And somewhere at the house, I think in uh, uh, one of our, uh, I think it's called a hope chest, uh, we've got a, a picture of the little school and church, uh, one of the places that he ministered. Well, Really and truly, um, borrowing a phrase from Clint Eastwood, I guess you could say my family is made up of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, it's, it's, it's all mixed up in there all together. But there's one thing, or a couple of things you need to know. Number one, family. You cannot pick your family. Amen? Uh, and you don't always get along with your family. Amen? And very seldom can you explain your family. Sometimes it's just that's just... Uncle, whoever, I, I don't even want to throw a name out. I'll pick somebody's, and then you'll think I'm talking about you. Uh, but anyway, families are that way. Within the writings of both Matthew and Luke, we actually see the, the genealogy of Jesus. And in those two genealogies, actually, there's some real characters in there. And you would think that if you were purposefully writing the genealogy of the Son of God, that you'd go through and you'd make sure you'd pick out the good ones and kind of leave off the bad ones. But I love how the Word of God does not do that. It just gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly, warts and all, does it with the lives of the disciples as well as, again, the family background in the physical sense 
of Jesus our Lord. When we look at these two uh, um, uh, uh, lineages, it doesn't take too long, just a cursory reading, you can find out that there's a lot of differences between what Matthew writes as a genealogy and what Luke writes as the genealogy of Christ. Uh, scholars disagree uh, primarily on the exact reasoning for the discrepancies, but most of them, many, many of them, if not most of them, believe that Matthew primarily is doing the the royal line of Jesus, the legal line of Jesus, following uh, Joseph's bloodline. Joseph, again, the, uh, the the stepfather, I guess you would call him, of uh, of Jesus, and Luke then giving actually the bloodline for Jesus, uh, giving Mary's lineage. And we'll look at that a little bit more as we get into it. The fact that both of these lineages or both of these lists go through the bloodline of King David is a a, a reconfirmation of the fact that Jesus was of the house and the lineage of David. And so he fulfills that way some of the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament. Like, for instance, very uh, familiar one to you, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, when Isaiah writes uh, that of the increase of his government there will and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 11, verse 1, that there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Okay, Wednesday night crowd, who is Jesse? David's father, King David's father, okay? So Isaiah writes that there will come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jeremiah, the prophet in Jeremiah 23, 5, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Well, that hadn't happened in the time of Isaiah nor the time of Jeremiah up until the time of the New Testament. So whatever they declared then did not happen in the Old Testament times. And so again, they're pointing to the coming of Christ. And it's really... As we look at these two lineages, these two genealogies, it's really after King David that we see the major differences of these two bloodlines as Matthew traces uh, the lineage uh, of David through his son Solomon and then on through Rehoboam and then on down that way. And Luke's bloodline, though, goes through Solomon's other son, not Rehoboam, but Solomon's other son, Nathan. And we're going to see that in a moment and the reason why. Now, some of the other differences we see uh, is that Matthew's list goes from Abraham, the father of Israel, and moves on forward till it finally gets to Matthew 1, verse 16. And it says, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. Notice he didn't say the father of Jesus. No, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. While he's going forward, Luke actually goes backward. Luke begins with Jesus, and then he works his way all the way back to Adam, the son of God. 
in the wording of both Matthew and Luke, uh, they bring out the fact that, that definitely Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. He was simply considered the father of Jesus by, by the community around him, by the people of that time. Uh, again, isn't his father Joseph? Uh, isn't this, and so the, the son of the carpenter, they would call him. So again, the community, the, the populace looked at Joseph being his father, but the scripture is very clear that no, Joseph was not his father. Luke, in his list, he actually moves pretty much matter-of-factly through all of these names. You got your Bibles with, me, with you, hopefully you do. Look at uh, Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3. It's right after the uh, baptism of Christ, before the temptation in the wilderness, that again, uh, Luke gives us the genealogy of Christ. Look at it, beginning down in verse 23, Luke 3, verse 23. Now Jesus himself, beginning with Jesus, he's going to go backwards. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. And then uh, Luke does this, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthew, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathiah, and the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, and on and on through the list he goes. Pretty much right on down uh, until it finally gets down to the end, uh, the son of Adam, the son of God. When we look at the beginning there, as he begins that, uh, where it reads, Jesus, the supposed son of Joseph. Um, really, it should probably read, because of the way that the, the Greek was formed and because of the inference of what Luke is trying to tell us here, it probably should read more along the line, and Jesus being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, of Eli, or Heli. Jesus of Heli or Eli, depending upon what version you have, it's either E-L-I or H-E-L-I. Jesus being of that lineage of uh, uh, Heli, who was born of Mary, uh, Mary was born, she was the daughter of Heli, okay? So again, that was in his lineage on Mary's side. Well, it's back in Matthew that we actually find a couple of places where Matthew himself, rather than just doing the son of, who was the son of, who was the son of, or he begotten, so-and-so begotten, so-and-so begotten, Matthew actually interjects within that four names of uh, women, uh, mothers of individuals there that we see in Matthew's writing. And then plus also he gives us Mary's name from, uh, again, the New Testament time. Pretty much what Matthew is doing, he's listing four women of the Old Testament put in the lineage of Christ. Now, they normally didn't put women in the lineage of, uh, of anyone. Uh, the genealogies just would not list the women. Sorry, women, but you're, you, you just weren't that important. Uh, the, the men were. That's what that was the significant thing. They wanted to know who the father was, who the dad was along, the, along each way, the grandfather, the great-great-grandfather. Very patri- patriarchal in, in that way. The four Old Testament women that Matthew gives us, they're, they're part of a very interesting line uh, for Jesus. We have the four, if you go on over to Matthew chapter 1, we have the four uh, Tamar in verse 3, Rahab in verse 5, Ruth in verse 6, 
and Bathsheba, also in verse 6. Another scholar actually points out uh, something that really ought to be obvious to us. Tamar and Rahab, they were both prostitutes, okay? Ruth was a foreigner. She was a Gentile. She was a, a Moabite a woman. Bathsheba, she was the one who committed adultery with David. And we could argue the fact of how much choice did she really have in the matter, David being king of Israel. And I think that's a very good argument. But still, she was in the midst of that. Matthew may have included these women in order to emphasize that God's choices in dealing with people is just covered by his grace, just totally, absolutely covered by his grace. He may have also put it in there just to kind of uh, put Jewish pride uh, in, in place. You know, you kind of say, yeah, you know, this is how great we are. Well, no, look at your history. Look at your history. And that's why I think sometimes, you know, we can, we can get very uppity about who we are right now and forget about where we came from. And I believe that too often believers, Christians do that in our walk. Man, I've been a believer for years and years. I'm really maturing in the Lord. I can quote all kinds of verses. Uh, I, I know this and I know that and everything. And so I, I'm like almost, I'm, I'm like, you know, me and Paul, we're like right here, up here. And so we begin to almost look down on people who are maybe struggling with their walk or maybe they're brand new in their faith. And beloved, Paul tells us over and over and over, hey, you guys that are mature, you ought to be helping out those that are weak in their faith. You ought to be lifting up those. You ought to be encouraging those. We have to be very, very careful, I believe, in our spiritual pride. Well, as Matthew gave that list of the four women there, uh, again, you, you look at, man, it's just human, humans. It's just people. And, and people sometimes are a mess. Amen? How many of you know people who are a mess? How many of you are a mess? Yeah, yeah, amen. Neither one of these lists is actually the entire bloodline given. There, there's names that have been skipped over for whatever reason. The names that they include is what surprises me. If you're going to skip over some names, there's a lot of names. If you're giving my bloodline, I'd just soon skip over them. But Matthew didn't. The, the, the names and the order of the names given was sufficient for legal documentation of the bloodlines. And after showing that Jesus had a legal right in, from the bloodline shown in Matthew... And the bloodline right, uh, as we see from uh, Luke, again, we see that he is able to sit on the throne of his father, David. So let's back up a little bit and let's look at a moment or so at some of the individuals. And I'm primarily going to be focusing in on Matthew's account, on Matthew's account. Uh, primarily because it's juicier than Luke's account. There, there's just more stuff in there. You look at that and say, man, that, that's a, yep, that's a mess. And so let's look at that just for a moment. Uh, beginning with Abraham. Yeah, you know, when we think of the story of Abraham and, and some of the shenanigans he pulled, right, women? Uh, you know, no, she's just my sister. You know, uh, and because he's trying to save his own hide, and so he pawns his wife off as his sister a couple of different times, not just once, but twice. How many of you ladies would have stayed with him? Yeah, yeah, it just wouldn't have flown, you know. Well, Abraham, we move on to, to Isaac, and then from there we look at Jacob. So as we're looking through, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob. Look with me, if you would, keep your place in Matthew, 
But go on over to Genesis. Actually, Jacob is one of my favorite Old Testament characters. And uh, I put uh, quotation marks around character because he was quite a character. In Genesis chapter 25, look with me beginning down in verse uh, 21. Genesis 25, beginning in verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, There's two nations that are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled uh, for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. After his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. So when Rebekah had the twins, uh, Isaac was 60 years old. Verse 27, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And then we come to the beginning of the problem, okay? The beginning of the problem, verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, if you're a parent, you know that there are just some of your kids that are easier to get along with than others. There's some you would be pleased to sell to a traveling gypsy band as they came by. But the fact is, we don't get that choice. The fact is, is our love needs to be level. Do we treat them different? Absolutely. You better treat your children different because they are different personalities. Anybody that says, no, you treat all your kids exactly the same has not had more than one child, okay? Uh, but, but this very idea here, because we're going to see it play into the whole lifestyle. This isn't just the fact that, well, Isaac and Esau got a lot better along because they both felt like they were the manly, manly men's, and, and uh, Rebecca and Jacob got together because he was more of a home kid and he loved to cook and those kinds of things. No, that's, that's not what they're saying. There is an actual dividing line here that we're going to see as we look on in this. Look over in verse 20, or chapter 27. In chapter 27, it starts out, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and Esau answered him, said, Here I am. And uh, uh, Isaac said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out to the field, hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. He was the oldest son, even though only by moments. He was still the oldest son. And giving the blessing to the oldest son, that was just, again, the custom. But the problem comes in verse 5 and on, where Rebecca hears what's going on, and because she favors Jacob so much, she herself is a deceiver, and she teaches her son to be a deceiver. 
Christmas time has arrived again, and with it, the typical carols, decorations, and events of the season. We're so glad that today you've taken the time to study God's Word with us and rejoice in the true reason for the season, Jesus Christ. How can we be praying for you during Christmas? We'd love to know, as well as how we can be joining you in praise for all God's doing. Would you give us a call? We can be reached at 520-836-9676. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor David's teachings, you'll find them online at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Casa Grande this weekend to join us for worship and Bible study. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.